0: I am so proud to be working with Kills to bring you this season of Rain with Josh Smith. I created Rain to empower communities everywhere and start important conversations about equality, and Kills have been doing exactly that for more than 170 years. Not only do KILLS make you feel like your best self with their award-winning apothecary skincare products, but they also support local communities through charity partnerships, literally changing lives. And in the spirit of feeling like our best selves, Kills have just added a new cream formulation of their best-selling Midnight Recovery Oil. And trust me when I say you need this in your life. Say hello to the Midnight Recovery Omega Rich Cloud Cream, which will not only help your skin look plumped, nourished, and radiant, it will also empower you to feel fabulous and take on absolutely anything. It's available now at your nearest Kiehl's store or on kills.co.uk. <laughs> Hey I'm Josh Smith and welcome to Reign. and I'm so glad you're here babes. This podcast is all about opening up, having important conversations and celebrating successes as well as overcoming obstacles to reign over our own lives. I love to chat to people and I always find things in these conversations to take away and use in my own life so I really hope you'll find the same as well. Welcome to Rain. In today's episode, we're joined by one of my faves, Lucy Boynton. Believe it or not, Lucy started acting at the age of just 12 years old, alongside Rennie Zalwiger as a young Beatrice Potter in Miss Potter. God, that film made me cry so much. She went on to star in so many other amazing roles, including the girlfriend soulmate of Freddie Mercury, Mary Austin, in the Oscar-winning Bohemian Rhapsody. It also became the highest-grossing biopic movie of all time, casual. Lucy's latest role, she has the stunning 60s spy Jean in The Ipcrest File, which is on ITV and ITV Hub. And you can also see her as the sassy heiress turned anxiously Frankie in Hugh Laurie's adaptation of the Agatha Christie classic, Why Didn't They Ask Evans, which you can watch on BritBox right now. And as if she wasn't busy enough, Lucy will be back on our cinema screens later this year playing Marianne Antoinette in Chevalier. More on that later. Whew. Are you also out of breath taking all those credits? In this episode, Lucy talks about her journey with mental health, just how game changing going to therapy was for her, and the lessons she learned from her therapist. Lucy also talks about defining our self worth away from external sources of validation, advice I think we all could do with taking. This is a really open and honest conversation, so I hope you take just as much away from this chat as I did. Crowns at the ready, let's reign! well hello babe how are you
1: hi i'm good how are you
0: i'm good it's so good to see your face again so good to see yours stunning and babe let's just get straight into it because the ipcrest file i mean it is stunning drama at its finest and you are serving a spy assassin chic all at the same time. <laughs> love and it's that. So riveting. And I love Jean as a character who's this like secret Me too. spy, who's part of this secret part of the War Office. I mean, she's just cryptic, isn't she? And she's got the face to match because she just always is given cryptic energy. What drew you to playing her?
1: Kind of all the things you've just listed. I mean, <laughs> she's such an interesting character. She's like a walking weapon and she it was just such an interesting kind of investigation into how this woman operates in this male-dominated environment and in the 60s which is kind of we look to as a kind of era of female liberation but now that we're kind of getting more you know understanding of feminism and all of that we're kind of I think recalculating how liberating that era actually was And so it was all kind of, especially because she's the same age as me, it was such a fascinating, I don't know, kind of investigation into that. And I wanted to make her excellent at her job, um, which means she's impenetrable and unreadable, which meant that I had to kind of examine all the expectations that we have for women and how they're supposed to operate and present in the workspace and in public. Um, and kind of switch all of those things off. So the kind of, the warmth that is expected from women, the Mm. overextending themselves so that the person they're with is comfortable and accommodated and everything. And just switching those off one by one was so powerful and empowering.
0: She's very much operating in this male-dominated world of, a spy mm-hmm. industry in itself. And she's also operating a mm-hmm. society where her family, her society, even her fiance try to suppress her in so many different mm. ways and trying to keep her in a box. And every time I watch a period drama where a character is kind of not playing to type that you would really expect, the interesting thing about that is you then start to re-reflect on our society and our lives and how far we've come, mm. but also how much further we need to... To go. So when you're playing a character that's the same age as you in a different time, do you see aspects of our society still reflected?
1: Absolutely. Because when you when you're doing projects like this, it's a period piece. It's set in the '60s, so you're mm. you immediately go into okay, great. So what are the contrasts? I wonder what it was like to live in that era, and you you really try and kind of suspend your disbelief and you know start from scratch in terms of the expectations that you have. And then as you're progressing through research, you realize how close these experiences in so many iterations still are. And Mm. I mean, especially with Jean, she is, you know, she's working in a male dominated environment, which means she has to work doubly as hard to prove herself and to prove her worth just to be on the same kind of platform as all the men around her. And then you look around and it's like, sure that's changed, but only in the capacity that we now will talk about it. But I don't know how much that's actually changing in practice. Um, and also I mean you look at things like recently even International Women's Day and did you see that Twitter account that was calling out all of the companies oh my god tweet, did I see it hashtag International Women's Day and then they would post a picture of like all of their female employees in a picture which by the way is incredibly telling when all of your female employees can fit in one very close up picture mm-hmm. um, and then this this account would tweet at them the, the disparity in in pay between men and women in those companies and it was shocking And, Mm. and then you're kind of disappointed that you're even surprised by that but again I think that shows kind of how far we still have to go and what I love about a character like Jean is that it's the opportunity to acknowledge all of those things. And she's very incredibly aware of all of this. And she uses that consistent underestimation to her advantage. And she's like, right, okay, this is the landscape that I live in. This is the society I live in. How am I going to work the system to still succeed in a society that is built by men for men to succeed? How can I play the game and still get what I want and get far and so she kind of mm. that's where I mean even the costume kind of came in where she's able to hide in plain sight because no one sees her walking down the street and assumes she's the assassin that's after them you know so she can be in that bold red suit and and you just yeah you she kind of uses that underestimation to her in her advantage so it was empowering to kind of to feel like there was something proactive to do about the injustices that she feels.
0: Mm. Do you still feel like you come up against everyday sexism all the time? And what kind of sexism have you kind of faced in your life that, and how has your approach to it changed as well as you've gotten older too?
1: I don't know. I think I'm still working out how to navigate it because I think, I think naturally, the older you get, and the more ingrained in your work environment you get, you're going to come up against it in mu- in a much starker way. Um, mm. And it's just, and I don't know how to react to it because it fills me with a lot of anger and frustration. And again, it's that thing of, well, you can't present angry because it's not productive, and people switch off and they don't listen to you know the angry woman. But I think it's just I'm realizing it. I think I'm noticing it more. Just kind of in day to day, especially I think in this job, the day to day of doing press and promo for stuff. And that is the environment in which I get to observe, I think, most kind of presently, the disparate, the kind of difference between the way men and women can enter a room and operate. Mm. So, men, it's kind of enough just to turn up, it seems, and men are the kind of default, whereas women, I think, you have to, again, that thing that Jean goes through, you have to really, like, overcompensate and overprepare, and a woman, a man walks in and it's kind of, you take him as, as he is, whereas a woman, I think you're taught that you have to consider, there are so many more factors to consider that people will base their judgment on, and the judgment is so immediate. Mm. that I think, yeah, I don't know, I guess as I, yeah, I get older, I'm I'm much more acutely aware of it. And I think also because we're more frequently having these conversations, you tune into it more. But yeah, it's, it's increasingly frustrating, I think.
0: Mm. Have you ever felt like you've been underestimated?
1: Absolutely. And I think... I don't know what it is. I think it's just that assumption that like men can do anything, but women have to prove that they can do it in order to qualify to do it. Um, but again, I, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. And so I think I would love to be able to use those things in the way that Jean does. I think The main thing that I learned from that, though, from that underestimation, I think was examining that and looking at her and thinking, like, if you don't have external resources to look to for um, kind of inspiration and as kind of role models, where does that come from? And there was a kind of moment of realization with Jean that it is entirely self generated because it has to be. Mm. So all of the strength that cu- that f- fuels her ambition and belief in herself is self-generated. And that was such a kind of game-changing realization because of how applicable that is to now, to everyone, every day. That I think in a society that is I don't know, I think even from a young age we're taught, you know, from parents and teachers and everything, you hear the rhetoric of I'm so proud of you. So from a very young age the seed is planted that you need external validation. Um, mm. And and also in this society where we're like constantly observing each other with social media and even if you don't partake in that, the media in general is bombarding you with what other people are doing, what their successes are. And you're incidentally just all being measured or like you measure yourself and so to suddenly have this moment of like you don't actually need to tune into that those external resources for validation you can have the highest level of ambition and goals for yourself just because just because you see it in yourself you feel it you want it and that was so kind of empowering and and a kind of unlocking of understanding that again you have to unlearn all of these things of like
0: Mm. it doesn't
1: need to come from the outside you can do it for yourself regardless of the Mm. societal expectations and stuff that was a really long-winded way of saying yeah we have been kind of (laughs) underestimated
0: but it's so true though because it's i feel like sometimes in life you have to go through a whole full circle to then realize that actually your number one ally should actually be yourself and that sometimes you've got to 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 lean on your own self to pull yourself through and to step into the space that you want to be in and what you think you deserve as well right
1: yeah and i think that's one thing as well that i'm really grateful about this job for because you know with acting you're always auditioning so you're always set put into this environment of like competition in a way but also Mm. Here, here you must present your best and kind of and be measured and be judged and you've kind of have to learn not to take any of that personally and just to use it as an opportunity to get better and grow and to kind of to treat it every time as a learning experience and I don't know that there are many jobs or you know other life experiences and opportunities that really set you up in that way that really teach you throw you in at the deep end and teach you the kind of fruitfulness of quote unquote competition and Mm. kind of, and not to take things personally and to really, yeah, use the use kind of rejection as an opportunity to grow and analyze and learn.
0: I think it's a very powerful thing to almost be empowered by rejection as well, because it can be something Mm -hmm. that can really eat you up. And this whole idea about stepping into your power, I mean, this podcast is all about that. It's all about stepping into your power, owning your power and wearing that crown with pride, honey. But mm-hmm. for you, what have been some massive turning points in you stepping into your power and realizing what your power actually is?
1: Um, I think it is that lesson of not taking things personally. And that was actually something that Ashley Thomas who plays Maddox in Icarus, talks a lot about. He had been reading a book on life, on life lessons or something and and he said the main thing that he's learning is like ha- the lib- the immediate liberation that comes from not taking things personally. Um, it's not about you. And and I think that kind of refocuses, that is the quickest, most accessible way to refocus um, this concept of rejection. Um and and just enjoy it. I don't know. It sounds kind of abstract and hard, the idea of enjoying rejection. Mildly sadistic, but like but what it can show you about yourself and how you can kind of grow and move forward from it.
0: You've been working since you were 12 years old yeah. since you were
1: yeah. playing a, a young Beatrice
0: Potter which I is so, so crazy I and I think coming into an industry like the entertainment industry at that age where then you are also then going through your teenage years where you're really having to like discover who you are yeah. and learn about yourself and everything's changing your hormones are changing your body's changing your, yeah. uh, your life is changing so much in a very short few crazy years what was that experience like for you kind of growing up on a set whilst also then growing up away from a set
1: oh my god I'm so grateful to be out of that experience of puberty (laughs) um doing that with like a camera on you fresh (laughs) hell um I think I was really lucky though because like I no one else in my family is in this industry so when it when I started it was like the most beautiful enchanting introduction to this industry but it wasn't a necessity and so my family thought it was really beautiful but it was kind of give or take and then when I got to the age of like GCSEs and stuff they were my teachers and my parents encouraged me to take a step back from acting but always my two lives which were very very separate of acting and real life um were kind of in equal standing in terms of importance and i think that kind of saved my mental health as a teenager because had i had to because i went through all of this so just like got the train tracks got allergic to the train tracks
0: you were so, allergic to chain tracks. What
1: happened? Oh yeah, oh it was Oh, it was not pretty, oh my God. <laughs> it was just like bad, sad skin. And, and then, you know, I was a teenager, so my metabolism changed and I started experimenting with hair dye and all of that. I had one incident where I was like dyeing my hair for the first time and my sister helped me and I thought she was doing the whole head. She thought she was just doing like the bottom where I couldn't reach. <laughs> and then we dried it and it was like, Two tone hell. All of these things, needless to say, I'm so grateful that I could be messy and grow up in the privacy of my mm. own world, um, and that wasn't that didn't need to be like committed to film um, or social media in a way that it does now. But um, but I think so. I got out kind of light, and otherwise. Because it is a really strange thing. Doing this job, I think you need to have a really strong, or it's better when you have a really strong foundation and sense of yourself so that you can very clearly identify when you're departing from yourself and your inner character and in Mm. that
0: environment. How have you learned to work on and look after your mental health on that journey? And what have been some turning points in that specific element of your life as well.
1: Therapy was a turning point. Oh my God. Um, but I don't know. I think it's kind of, I. it's maybe in the last few years, like since all of this has happened that I've tuned in much more to it. Cause I think I've always grown up. I'm very lucky in a household where we communicate very freely and openly, openly about our feelings um my sister is kind of so encouraging of that and and I and so I've just always thought that like that's enough if I've been able to talk about my feelings and I'm fine I don't need to like talk to a therapist and like I'm fine I'm coping and then when I finally did you start to tap into all of the things that you have kind of biosmosis absorbed into your subconscious and that becomes kind of how Mm. you see yourself in the world and how you value yourself and and then I started to really focus on like I don't know how am I how do I see myself and so that has been definitely the most kind of prominent turning point and also cause like as a teenager, you don't realize how much of that shit you internalize and just take in your stride. And, and, mm. and I think now we're getting better at identifying that mental health is something worth talking about. When I was growing up, it was just kind of, that's just growing up. Like that's just the difficulties of being a young woman. And now it's like, well, no, that's definitely an opportunity to have a, a proper in-depth conversation. You don't need to go through
0: that shit on your own. Rain and Kills are both about empowering you to feel like your best self and Kiehl's new Midnight Recovery Omega Rich Cloud Cream does exactly that. It's rich in Omegas 3 and 6 which help replenish and rejuvenate skin and with it only taking seven nights to younger looking skin I'll race you to that nearest Kills store or you can shop on Kills.co.uk. it's so interesting when you reflect back on your younger self as well because i've done this quite a lot recently where i I thought about myself and the anxiety that i pretty much had my whole entire life but never had the words to really talk about it because we never spoke about anxiety mental health it was just not anything that was ever brought up not in my house not at school not on tv not in social media because we didn't even have it so it was. it's really interesting when you reflect back and you're like oh i was actually suffering from anxiety at that period of my life but not even realizing mm. it's such an interesting retrospective process to look at yourself and review your younger self in a way and i guess that what well, that's one of the things that is so good about therapy
1: mm-hmm. right
0: is what's maybe the biggest lesson you've learned Or taken away from therapy?
1: I think one thing was the impact of acting at such a young age. And that was something that I was willing to skirt over. That was like first session. I was like, yeah, Mm. I started work when I was 11. But anyway, and then she's like, well, let's just go back to that. Um, And I was like, no, 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 not one of the, not like a child actor kind of way. I'm totally fine. And then we started to dissect it. And you realize that, you know, so much of being an actor when you're a kid is about being obedient and that is a really wild thing to Mm. have ingrained in you as a young as a girl especially but at the age of like 11 12 which I think is a very at least it was for me very kind of sponge-like time when you're growing up into a more kind of independent soul and coming into yourself that's the kind of age where you start to, I think, really absorb the subconscious that forms you. And to be taught that obedience is so praised and so valued. And in a work environment, it was... I'm now reflecting on, like, what a a strange thing that is to kind of comprehend as a young woman. And I really, when I see that now, and the kind of... Not, like, people-pleasing, but definitely... The inclination to obey rather than buck against a system. Now mm. I recognize it, and I'm like, okay, I want to flip that. I want to do the opposite. Um, so it's things like that, and just kind of, and also the like, the most liberating realization has been how that like she, my therapist keeps trying to kind of impart this on me that everything is a social construct and everything is social conditioning. And like we have created this for ourselves and everyone is kind of within this self-taught system, but that is somewhat arbitrary. Mm -hmm. So we're all just kind of winging it. And once you kind of dismantle this respect for a fabricated system, everything becomes slightly more palatable and approachable and less daunting and kind of much more open to interpretation and like malleable so it's kind of, that's been really freeing. And I try and remind myself whenever I'm, especially when the anxiety kicks in, with especially when having to kind of be in public and present in any way, it's kind of remembering that we're all winging it.
0: Oh my God. I literally think I'm winging it on a daily all basis. All day, every day. And then panicking about getting found out that I'm totally. winging it all day, every day. I'm literally like, I feel like I'm constantly flying on like the edge of my seat, like
1: <laughs> and just getting away with it.
0: And just and always just slightly getting away with yeah. it, and then having this absolute paranoia that someone's going to come along and be like, "Oh, you're actually a really terrible interviewer." Yeah, and this, just and now, now I found you out, found
1: out, and you're gonna be like, "Well, it had to happen eventually." Yeah.
0: No- Fun. but it's so because I was even saying to someone the other day it's like oh my god sometimes I just wish that I was more of a straight man who could literally just walk into a room and just be like I'm here I'm meant to be here yeah, but That's the like thing. I own this space I own this room yeah
1: but that I mean a world created by like straight white men for straight white men to succeed and so it's like and so the ownership that they get to walk around the planet with is just surreal to me
0: it's definitely a very obscure concept to me to feel that like I can walk into a room and own it. Mm-hmm. Like I I just, I just can't. Mm-hmm. I just literally like, I really have to like psych myself up and encourage myself to do it or otherwise it ain't gonna happen. But then
1: like, the more people you talk to- This little
0: person inside me- Yeah, has, but
1: the more people talk to you, the more you realize we're all doing that. Like, so you enter a room and everyone has given themselves this little yeah. pep talk about like, just own your space, man.
0: It's wild, the expectations we place on ourselves. And I think being a very public, forward-facing person, those expectations are not even created by yourself, but they are created by other people mm-hmm. as well. How have you learned to manage that kind of external critic and that internal critic at the same time?
1: That one's been a tricky one, I think. And again, good old therapy teaching me that it's like, it's none of your business. What people's expectations or like, assumptions about you are. Freeing yourself from that has been kind of my mission and and the most liberating element. Because I think it's very, um, I don't know, it can be a shock. And there's that sense, obviously, that like, you don't want to be misrepresented, but you can't spend your life trying to correct people's impression of you. And... Mm -hmm. and again it's kind of none of your business as long as you know that on a local level that you're being the kind of best person you can be and and making people around you feel good and and what you're putting out is good or just authentic whatever that means to you authentic then that's kind of that's within your level of control and that's what you need to think about and beyond that whatever's out of your control is not for you is not personal it's not about you And that's kind of okay and it's been a Mm. yeah it's a weird thing to i don't know have strangers have opinions about you but then again also my entire job is like to not put myself forward it's to put characters forward so kind of the less i can put out about myself the better in a way because it just allows for more space for people to watch my work and believe the characters And I think kind of just letting that work speak for itself. And I think now with social media, there's this constant feeling like you have to be within the conversation, part of the conversation and and presenting yourself. And that's such a huge and also inorganic, like unnatural thing for all of us to constantly have to do. Um, So it's kind of, yeah, I feel like we're all starting to, after obviously like two years where social media became the main format for communication I feel like there is this general sense of wanting to pull back a little bit and kind of especially now that we get to be in rooms together again yeah the re-entering society has been a real trip and kind of realizing that you've only been talking to people on a very like intimate local level and suddenly you have to go to work and remember like I completely feel like I lost a, a real grasp on like the hierarchy thing because obviously being at home talking to friends and family all the time, then suddenly being on set again, I was still continuing that very colloquial way of talking, which actually has worked for the better, I think, because it helped to dismantle this feeling of like, of where you sit on a hierarchy on set, I guess. And like, oh, I can't speak to this person in this kind of way because I'm supposed to kind of very much look up, Mm. up to them. And instead... and. I've caught myself talking I don't want to like out myself for talking in a uh, slightly more like abrupt or just like casual way to my senior and it and it worked in my benefit because it became a much more direct conversation I wasn't kind of beating around the bush I was stating my opinion in a way that I don't think that I would have 2 years ago so it's kind of I don't know these new Things of like not having these kind of social boundaries anymore, which was quite a shock. But it was, yeah, it's exciting. But also knowing that we're all kind of experiencing that and and relearning what it is to be in these social environments. And i just oh once again, we're all just winging it.
0: <laughs> well, you may be winging it, but you're doing a Bloody good job of winging it, babe, because, I mean, just fresh off the back of being Bohemian Rhapsody, which was the best-selling biopic of all time. Let's take a minute for that fact. Process it. Digest it. WTF, did you ever expect it to be that successful?
1: I didn't even think that I my brain went that far because like I know that we all loved it and you know Freddie Mercury's Freddie Mercury Queen is Queen like they're just beautiful in bringing people together and celebrating people so I know Mm -hmm. that the whole cast and crew felt and
0: banger after banger Oh yeah
1: so like the whole cast and crew felt very very (laughs) passionate about it but then to see that ignited so far and wide with such an eclectic audience was just you can't anticipate that and oh my god it's the most heartwarming empowering thing and the conversations that that opens just everything it was so impactful and and still that still people talk about it and rewatch it and and are excited to talk about it it's just it's beautiful and i, I think that is just it once again speaks to Freddie's everlasting magnetism power and just beauty
0: mm. and it must be amazing to have that experience and then to go back and step onto set in these new jobs. Like next up you got, why didn't they ask Evans? Which is coming up on Britbox. Which I love. And you're playing Lady Frances. So I love this character. She is just sass on toast. Oh my God. And I'm so here for I it. Know, and like the fact that it's not only now for Christie mini series, it's directed by Hugh Laurie. And then Emma Thompson is your mother.
1: Mm-hmm. What? Mm-hmm. I <laughs> It was just so freeing playing someone like we're talking about when we're, when we're talking about all of mm. our social anxieties and everything to then have to put that all away and just be this very kind of saturated in all her colors character was, yeah, incredibly freeing. And to do it, I mean, to do it in that environment, Jim Broadbent and Emma Thompson as my parents and Hugh Laurie contributing to Agatha Christie's creation like and to have it all in his brain and words and comedy and working opposite Will Poulter. It just, it was the best. It was, I mean, I'm grinning ear to ear talking about it and I could go on and on about it.
0: It's a stunning cocktail, all those combinations coming together, isn't it?
1: Oh God, yeah, it's a special one.
0: And you take a sip of that cocktail and you take that cocktail to then go play Mary Antoinette, babe, I mean. Yes. One of the most ultimate queens of all time, Marie Antoinette, oh my God. for bad reasons, good reasons, and everything in between reasons. Mm-hmm. What was it like stepping into playing that queen?
1: You know, I think we all have a certain idea of her in our minds and it's mostly negative. So I had to kind of park that and start from scratch and really kind of depart from my assumptions about her. Um, in order to figure out who she really was, or who, or, or, or and also how she worked within the framework of that film, of that story specifically, um, which I think is really important. But, but yeah, it was really interesting, kind of tapping into all of that, and and specifically tapping into the kind of I don't know historical villainization of so many women, and I think she's at the forefront of that to the point mm. where she is known for a quote that is attributed to her inaccurately. She never said that. And it's so interesting how quickly dismissed these women in history are. So I think it was a kind of, yeah, it was a really interesting research process. Um, And a beautiful, beautiful looking movie. It's just Mm. aesthetically stunning as well. And yeah, and Kelvin Harrison Jr. plays the lead. Joseph Bologna is exquisite he's profoundly talented
0: it must have been interesting because when you actually reflect back on Marie Antoinette she's kind of one of the first examples of cancel culture Mm -hmm. isn't she in a way in a way that we now have cancel especially women in our society in media especially they are very easily cancelled for very smaller things in comparison to what men are especially
1: totally and I think what's interesting is the kind of challenging the reputations that she is known for so she you know had a reputation of being wild of this kind of wild party obsessed woman and yet she only followed the kind of structure and the rules that had been left by the previous monarch and her husband Louis was like has been described as pathologically shy so he put her in charge of all the like public soiree party organizing so of course then that became her responsibility and so she literally just followed the cookie cutter um example set by the previous by by the previous king but because she's a woman she it then left her with a really terrible reputation and while she didn't have a huge amount of power at all the king is what is the person obviously in charge with the power all of that judgment really seemed to have fallen on her and followed her because you don't hear a huge amount of negativity surrounding Louis it's very much attached to Marie Antoinette and that by no means I think she's a very you know it's such a complex character and person but yeah I think it was a very a really interesting kind of re-education process and an important reminder to really challenge the kind of portrayals especially of Historical female figures that we've been presented with and kind of that have been so ingrained mm. in our society because obviously it's all coming from um, a patriarchal standpoint. So, although even if you do all that research and you come to the same conclusion, I think at least you've challenged it, which is really important.
0: Mm. AKA Fat the Patriarchy, amen, babe, is what amen. we're basically saying. Amen. <laughs> Amen to that. Amen. Well, it's been so amazing having you on the podcast. Obviously, it's been so Thank amazing talking so to you, but we always end on one final question, and that is, get ready for it, Lucy. In the reign of your life, what's the one rule you'll always live by? What is that rule, Ooh. Queen?
1: The rule I will always live by. I mean, second to fuck the patriarchy. Um... <laughs> find I think you know the new rule find that self-generated strength let it come from you and you don't need the external validation qualification to go after what you want to do and to really feel empowered and confident so wherever whenever you can self-generate that strength
0: I love that this links nicely onto a quote that I heard recently which was about watering always focus on watering your own garden and not thinking the grass is always green on the other side Mm -hmm. focus on that patch of grass your patch of grass nurture it grow it focus on that and then the rest will take care of itself and I was like whoa so that quote you just said ties in nicely to my new ethos in life that I'm now going forward with
1: love (laughs) love that
0: thank you so much for joining me for another amazing episode of rain i really hope you found something to take away from this episode and if you have let me know you can always get me on socials at josh smith hosts i love to hear from you and as always if you've enjoyed this episode please like rate subscribe or follow wherever you get your podcast from and more importantly please share this with someone you think needs to hear it let's get those convos going and i'll see you next time